You're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. We're hanging out here today because one day while hiking in Peru, after just having been let go from my dream job, it hit me. There's so much more to life and there's no excuse for not embracing uncertainty and trying new things to really explore our full potential in this lifetime. On this weekly podcast, you'll hear from successful entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, and visionaries just like you so that you feel less alone as you pursue everything you want and deserve in this lifetime. This is a space where big sky thinking is welcomed and conversations about daily betterment are essential. So if you're ready to stop living an ordinary life and start living a visionary life, then welcome home. Hey, hey, visionaries, welcome back to the show. (sighs) I just have to exhale. (laughs) I was just taking a break in my workday and I decided to do some squats and then I decided to get on here and record. This is what I have to do in order to keep the energy up. If I have a day of podcasting and sitting at my computer, sometimes I just need to like get up, put on my favorite Spotify playlist and do a little squatting, dancing, lunging. You name it, I am doing it. Anyways, let's get on with the show today. I am so excited because I'm sitting down with Emma Stern. Emma is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Felix Health. So I don't know if you guys have heard of Felix before. I hadn't, but Felix is an end-to-end digital healthcare platform. So basically, if you are somebody who is looking for a birth control prescription or you're suffering from acne, but you maybe don't have a family doctor and you don't want to go sit in an eMERGE for hours on end, this is the digital healthcare platform that can help you. So basically, it is medical visits on your time, and then it is paired with a integrated mail order pharmacy that delivers the product that you need or the prescription that you need, anywhere in Canada. So picture that. You need a prescription and it shows up at your door. So this is something that I am so fascinated with. Emma in this podcast episode is basically sharing how she was hanging out in the backyard with her husband's friend. He brings up this idea and he says, you know, this is how healthcare works in the U.S. And Emma's like, wow, oh my God, like I need to build out this idea with you. But if you live in Canada, you know how challenging it is for anybody to crack change into the healthcare system. But go figure, Emma and her co-founder started taking little steps one day at a time, having conversations with pharmacists, with doctors, with key stakeholders in the healthcare community, and starting to express their vision for what they wanted to build which is ultimately Felix Health. So Felix takes a totally unique approach to telemedicine in Canada, and it's done through this quiz-based system. And I am still, like, my mind is kind of blown on how far they have come. So I would highly suggest going to check out the Felix Health website um, and just seeing what this is all about. But you're going to love this conversation because essentially Emma and I are sitting down We are talking about what she was up to before starting Felix Health. It was something pretty much unrelated, so it's kind of cool that she came from a completely different background. 
She talks about what she loved about the corporate world and then some of those red flags that made her feel like maybe she didn't belong there forever and that maybe one day she would be spearheading her own startup. We talk about the early days of Felix and some of the first steps that they took to bring the idea for le- to life. Um, the funny stories about like how they had to hire web developers from across the world and meet them in the middle of the night because they didn't have a ton of money to throw into building the platform that they needed. And then Emma walks us through where the company is at today, what her role is, how she's balancing life as a mom, as a co-founder, doing all of the things. So this is a really good one. I'm so grateful that Emma's PR team reached out. I get a lot of pitches for guests on the Visionary Life podcast, most of them. I just don't get a good vibe or it's not a fit. But as soon as I saw Emma's pitch, I was like... Yes, yes, and yes. Everybody needs to hear this story. So really excited for you to tune in today. So as always, if you enjoy the episode, please snap a screenshot. You can tag me at Kelsey Rydell and definitely go check out Felix Health and play around on their platform. Reach out to Emma Stern. She's on LinkedIn and I'll put everything in the show notes. So enjoy the episode and I will talk to you guys soon. Emma, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm super excited to sit down and hear the entire journey of how you launched Felix Health and what you were up to beforehand. So we have so much to crack into, especially because you and I are only just meeting for the first time, which is pretty cool that the listeners get to sit in on our very first conversation. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to, to chat today. Yay. Okay. So I first want to dive in with hearing a little bit of what your backstory is. So what were you up to in the five to 10 years before launching Felix Health? What was your career path like? God, it feels like forever ago. It was only, <laughs> it's only a couple. So we've been doing Felix for about three years, but it feels like a lifetime already. Um, so I'm, I'm from Toronto. Uh, I, you know, got back from university. Um, I was actually abroad in, in in Scotland for university. So when I came back from university, I started working in investment banking. Um, so I was working in like M&A advisory investment banking work for about four years, um, which I really loved. It was, you know, a lot of hard work. It really taught me a lot about how to uh, have attention to detail and what it really means to be an employee of a business and what it means to kind of do both the really exciting parts of a a job as well as the slightly less glamorous um, hard work parts. Uh, So I'm super grateful for that experience. Um, And it was a bit of a unique experience as far as investment making goes because it was a brand new boutique investment bank um, on Bay Street. And so Although one would generally not think of an investment banking analyst experience as entrepreneurial in the slightest, I actually was, I was the first analyst. So I did see, you know, the partners building a firm from scratch, um, which was, you know, a a whole other kind of education for me. Um, You know, I was doing the, the, the typical investment banking work of, you know, updating comms tables and putting together pitch decks. But at the same time, I was helping them like pick a logo and like finding the office chairs and and doing that kind of things as well. So so it was a, it was a bit of a, my first taste, I'd say, of of seeing what it truly meant to be an entrepreneur. Um, 
After that, I uh, actually left banking to join what at the time was a rather big startup in Toronto called Puffin PX. Um, it's kind of a photography sharing and, and stock photography website uh, still still going on today. Um, and I joined, initially I had applied to be the FP&A person, like the financial planning and analysis, because that was obviously where my experience was coming from banking. But when I interviewed for the role, I actually interviewed directly with the CEO, Andy Yang, um, and he offered me the job to be the chief of staff as well. And I'm so glad, I, I, I'm so looking back, I think that was a really pivotal moment for me because that role um, gave me a complete kind of 360 view of everything it means to run a startup. Um, and it was a huge amount of responsibility. And I, I am so grateful for the opportunity because it really, I think, accelerated my thinking in terms of where I saw myself and and whether or not, you know, gave me that exposure that that, that drove me to, to, you know, undertake my own venture later on. Um, mm -hmm. So I worked in that role for, for a couple of years and then we actually made the decision to sell the business. Um, and so I kind of put my M&A hat back on and we ran a process to, to, to sell the, the business. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I have a couple things I want to crack into before we launch off of what you just shared there. So yeah. first off, you were working in investment banking, downtown Toronto. I know a lot of our listeners are in kind of their first job and it's maybe what they went to school for and they're kind of living that corporate life on that corporate track to success. Yeah. So I'm just curious, in your words, what were some of your favorite parts of that job? And then what were some of the things that maybe felt misaligned at the time? I'm sure there was a couple red flags that you were like, I don't know if I can do this forever. Absolutely. That's a great question. And I think it's a, I think that's a kind of a question I've meditated on a lot um, at the time and subsequently. Uh, so what I loved, I mean, I loved the people I had uh, I, and still have like an extreme amount of respect for the partners at the firm I was working with. Yeah. And they were unbelievably great at letting the junior employees have exposure to the entire value chain of the business. So I think sometimes in an investment banking role, one can, or, or, you know, any kind of corporate role like that, one as an entry level person can kind of end up in like a bit of a silo where you're only touching a small part of the business. And, and I think I had a unique experience there where I was, a, I was, you know, brought into the entire process. I was in the important meetings. I mean, not contributing, just taking notes, but I was, I was able to see part of that, which was I think pretty unique and wonderful for me. But also aside from that more, more generically, like I loved getting dressed and going downtown every day and feeling like I was part of the hustle and bustle. I, at the time did not love but have learned to have a huge amount of you know gratitude for learning how to work i mean you go from being in school which although it feels like there's so much work and you are sometimes resentful for the essays and the exams and all these things it's for you and you're paying to be there when like the entire construct is to is there for you um so i think that having one of those more traditional entry-level jobs at a in a big finance or whatever it might be yeah. It's a really good for, it's a really good place to start because you learn really quickly that it's not for you anymore. Like you are being paid to do a job. You are not paying to do a job anymore. And you are like, it's not about your experience and you getting to be exposed to everything you want to do necessarily. You're there yeah. to support a business. Mm -hmm. um, so that was like a big like shift mentally for me, I think. And I think that's been a big like foundational block of what's made me successful later on. Yeah. Um, because I do see a lot of people and, and I think it's, especially in tech where they don't have that. They still think they're there for them a lot, I think. Um, and that's a hard pill to swallow later on. I think it's important to learn that right off the bat. Yeah. 
It's so true. And I always say to people who are like, oh, that was such a waste of 10 years of my life. I never should have gone down that track. And it's like, no, you probably learned so much about what it is to work, to run a company, the behind the scenes processes, like never discount those chapters of your life because there's so much knowledge and just a lot of skill sets that you can accumulate from being in a more established company with these processes already in place. And then when you go work in a startup or you start your own company, you know what it is to run a company at a higher level. And like, it still hits me and it's, I've been out of it for, I don't know, maybe 10 years. And I still like, I come up, I run up against things that I'm just dealing with for the first time in my, in Felix. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, I actually know where I know who to call. <laughs> oh, I know how to get checks. Like I know how to do these things because of those, those monotonous tasks. Actually, they were really important and they're there for a reason a lot of the time. No, not always, but generally speaking. So yeah, I think it, I don't look at it as all that way. And I definitely couldn't see the value at the time. Yeah. Um, and I also didn't like have the empathy that I have now for the people who are running the business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, they're just being mean or, or, or they're just, you know, making you work for specific reasons. And I think they, the, specifically the people I worked for did a great job of making sure we understood why they were asking of us what they were asking. And sometimes people don't do as great a job, yeah. but yeah. now when I'm on the other side of that table and I'm asking people to, you know, work through a weekend or to, you know, follow a process or whatever it might be, um, I, I, I'm like, I think back on it, I'm like, oh my God, I wish I was nicer to them when they were doing that. Um, so I, I, I definitely have learned that way. Then to, for the second part of your question, which I think is also a super important one, you've got to listen to that little voice in your head that's like not quite right. Yeah. Um, I loved that part of it. And I love being part of like big, like being part of business, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but I also felt that specifically to investment banking, it did not, until you were much older and you were at like the partner level, so like 40 years old plus, it didn't take advantage of every part of your skill set. It's a very narrow part of what you, I was good at for myself and probably everybody has, has different things they're great at. You know, it really only used my math skills and my organizational skills and these specific things. And then I had these other things I wanted to try my hand at that they don't have any business in being a financial analyst. Like you, there's there's nowhere to apply that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, what I was always curious to explore, I think, is to have a more well-rounded job description that isn't just one part of a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you look like advisory is that by nature. Like that's what they do. They are like special purpose people who come in at a special point of time and perform a very specific tasks very well. Um, but I wanted, it, it, that's, really the exact opposite of running a business where you have to be a complete athlete right and you are doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit and and so I wanted that exposure I wanted to use my like interpersonal skills I wanted to learn how to be a manager I wanted to learn how to you know do the monotonous things that actually make up a business like applying for a bank account and like incorporating a business and you know dealing with having a more well-rounded exposure to figure out what I really liked um so I think that was the main thing uh and also I think with that hierarchy we talked about before in more traditional businesses, um, you don't, and for good reason, especially in like, you know, big M&A, there's not a lot of um, trusting younger people's judgment or asking them to use their own judgment. It's much more, okay, this is how we do things and we do it this way for a reason, so do it this way. Um, and I had heard, you know, through friends and things and just through observation that, you know, in tech particularly, there's a much bigger 
rely or in a startup, there's much more of a reliance on any employee of any level, just using their own judgment rather than mm. being managed in a very specific, like handholding way. So that was the other thing I was really looking for, I think. So it sounds like then when you made the transition into the startup and you became the chief of staff and got exposure to a lot more (laughs) responsibility, you obviously loved that and embraced it. So at what point in this startup journey did you start to think, hmm, maybe I could launch my own startup? Like when does a light bulb go off or just that little nudge that's like, maybe you want to do this on your own terms one day. This episode is sponsored by the What's Your Earning Potential free quiz. If you've been thinking about starting a business but aren't sure whether you have the gusto to exceed your current salary, this quiz was made for you. Find out what your earning potential is at www.kelseyridle.com slash earning potential. I mean, it's interesting because it was... It was really baptism by fire when I when I joined. They were like, "Oh, yeah. great! So now you're in charge of all this." I'm like, "Wait, no, 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 no! I don't know what that means. <laughs> this is a wildly inappropriate amount of responsibility." They're like, "You'll be fine. You'll be fine." Um, so I think my first reaction was like, "I will never do this for myself," because I was the chief of staff, not the actual exec, like founder or CEO. So I was not, although I was playing, yeah. Like, most, I didn't actually have any of the responsibility on me. I was not the direct responsible individual, like on the board level or reputationally or financially. You know, I was able to perform these tasks with by, while being completely insulated from risk in my personal like feelings and financial history and everything else um, because it wasn't my business. So I was like, this is so fun, but it's like I'm wearing a harness. You know, it's not, it's not really, I'm not really exposing myself. I'm not putting myself out there. Um, and I think... If you had asked me at that time, I'd say I would never do it myself. And I always had in my mind, like, I wasn't an entrepreneurial person. I never thought I, my husband was an entrepreneur. He had, a, you know, a big startup in Toronto that he had started. And I just didn't see myself as that. My parents were lawyers. You know, I really didn't, didn't think that was for me. Um, so it came, I don't think there was an aha moment. The aha moment was when my business partner, Kyle, was sitting in my backyard after we'd sold 500 PX and he was just talking about something he's seeing happening in the States and how he thinks it would work really well in Canada, better in fact. And I just was obsessed with the idea, instantly obsessed with the concept. It wasn't even really nine, like obsessed with the problem space of what this would be addressing. And it wasn't till I started to think about Felix as a business that I got excited about being an entrepreneur at all. So it was kind of like, it wasn't like I was, like an entrepreneur without a cause looking to start something. It was the opposite. It was like, I had an idea and I was like, this has to happen and I'm going to have to do it. We're going to have to do it ourselves because nobody else is going to do it. Was he sharing this idea with you in your backyard because he wanted you to come on as a partner or were you more just like brainstorming ideas and it was just a discussion? Oh, neither. He's my husband's best friend. Um, They were just over for a social visit and he's an entrepreneurial guy. He'd started businesses before and he's like, I think I'm going to do this. It's really cool. And I was like, I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to do it with you. He was like, no, you're not. (laughs) I was like, oh, please, me, me, me. And he was, you know, he eventually wore him down. He was like, okay, yeah, that's great. Because we have completely opposite experience, completely opposite skill sets. Um, So it was really complimentary. And obviously healthcare is a very, you know, heavily regulated, detail oriented, operational heavy space. So I think it was really great. He's more of like a marketing branding guy. I think it was a great, combination because um both are so crucial to making Felix kind of sing okay so 
you're saying that your business partner, he saw what was happening in the U.S. that clearly yeah. had not made it to Canada yet. So I'm curious, what were some of those pain points that Canadians were facing that yeah. we were not having our needs met in the healthcare space? Like describe what we were lacking before Felix Health came and filled that gap. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I think sometimes people look at Kyle and I and they're like, you're not doctors and you're not pharmacists. What are you even doing here? Um, or patients. And yeah. <laughs> that's and that's where Kyle got exposure. He lived in the US with his last business. He was living in New York. And he just had the experience of how vastly different healthcare was there as an yeah. experience and how much more it's focused on the um, patient's experience, less on like the general statistical keeping down of like mortal illnesses, which is, you know, both equally important. Um, and I think that, you know, my exposure to, to a different way of doing healthcare in university in Scotland was also something that I, I, when I came back, I had a hard time understanding, you know, getting back into, you know, being not put at the forefront of, um, sorry, I'll say it in a different way. I think that, you know, subjective quality of life has always been, a important core tenant of healthcare, right? Yeah. Um, it, just because you're not critically ill doesn't mean that it's not crucial. Like mental health is not necessarily, yeah, there's not necessarily something critically wrong with you. Yeah. But it's still hugely important. And, you know, if I think that my acne is impacting my ability to have a happy life, that's important too. Yeah. Um, so so these, these issues that aren't put at the forefront because they are quality of life issues more than anything in, in, in the industry, they call lifestyle Ill, illnesses or ailments, yeah. um, which I think downplays them a bit because they're not, you know, they yeah. can be, I, I would, I would love to see someone try to tell me why birth control is a lifestyle luxury and like, yeah. isn't it not crucially important, but um, a, a completely free healthcare system, which by the way, we're super grateful for. And we think is a wonderful, wonderful, necessary thing to have. Mm-hmm. It does, it does push these less um, life-threatening categories of healthcare to the side um, because it is triaged by nature. That's just how the system has to be in order to deliver free healthcare for an entire country. Um, so what we saw was that in, in systems that were much more privatized, um, people were, people's experience with healthcare, their user experience really as a patient was, which was much more prioritized. Um, you know, they were able to talk to doctors on their own time. They didn't have like three week long waiting, you know, wait times to see their GP. They, you know, were able to, um, you know, get telemedicine when and where they needed it. They were able to, you know, see a specialist when and wherever they needed it. And if they felt like they needed a prescription acne cream because they felt that they had acne, Yep. They could have it, you know, they didn't have to, they didn't have to fight that battle quite so hard. Um, so we saw what was happening in the US. We saw that there were some online businesses popping up that were doing something similar to what Felix does, different but similar, along the same vein. And we said, okay, if we can do this in Canada, this will be even more important because we're re like it, Felix is an accessibility and a user experience that we're layering on top of healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, it's still the same like amazing doctors as you'd get in the traditional system. All of our doctors and nurse practitioners are actively prescribed or actively, you know, practicing medicine in, in Canada. Yeah. It's, you know, our pharmacy is the same kind of licensed pharmacy as any other pharmacy across Canada would be same licenses, same medications coming from the same suppliers. Um, but it's 
the experience that we've, it's the platform we've built to wrap the experience in that is, is so markedly different. Um, yeah. Being able to connect with a doctor within you know, 12 hours and have a script, your, your subscription written and then delivered to your door within you know, a couple of days is, is a, a far cry from, from, from how you, that process would go for someone who, for example, like a huge, I think it's something like 5 million Canadians don't have a GP. So, and, and all the GPs are totally booked up and not taking new patients. So these people are, are, are forced into walk-in clinics or going to the ER to get their birth control refilled, which yeah. is just an inefficient use of um, everybody's time. Um, so, so we felt that although people think of accessibility in healthcare as a price issue, um, and yes, there is a price problem for sure in the U.S. and in some other countries, and we don't have that price problem. We have like an availability problem. Um, we just have, and so we felt it, a, a system like Felix that could take some of these lifestyle ailments off of the plate of the traditional system and create a second avenue to have those seen more effectively, um, therefore creating space in the traditional system for things that need to be dealt with in person um, would, would be a win-win for everybody. Okay, I am like so even just overwhelmed thinking about where you even began with bringing this idea to life because this is such a big opportunity to tackle. I don't even want to call it a problem. It's such an opportunity because you're right. Like somebody who has acne that is completely debilitating them from going out and living their life, they shouldn't have to sit in the ER for 24 hours waiting to see an eMERGE doctor to get that prescription. They don't. They just don't deal with it. They just don't deal with it, which like you said, it affects their quality of life. And so I'm thinking about like you guys having the belief that yes, we can do this. We can tackle this. First of all, did you have that mindset of like, no problem, let's just get started and see where this goes? Or was there any doubt? Because this is not just a small challenge that you were problem solving for. This is talking about healthcare nationwide and really changing the way that the system works. So where was your mind at when your partner first introduced this idea? Honestly, I think that when we look back on it now, we laugh because I think if we actually were in healthcare, either of us, we never would have had the audacity yeah. to do it because it was our naivete that allowed us to think it was possible, right? So we um, <laughs> we kind of sat there and we're like, do you think it's possible? And we're like, of course it's possible. Why wouldn't it be possible? <laughs> because we didn't know the first thing about how, how the system worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing we did was, you know, surround ourselves by experts, w- with experts. So we got an unbelievably talented medical director, Dr. Kelly Anderson. She's just one of the smartest, most capable, most innovative people I've ever met. She, you know, has a practice in downtown Toronto and, and, and uh, also works, runs an HIV clinic, but she also is the, the medical director of Felix. Yep. Uh, so she helped us and she has a tremendous amount of experience in telemedicine. So she helped us understand the landscape and what okay. who's doing what now and what, why was that permissible? Then we worked with some, we spent, you know, a tremendous amount of our money on, on, quite expensive lawyers trying to figure out how this could could work we yep. spent thousands of hours with drug manufacturers and with pharmacists and eventually and with physicians and eventually ended up with an amazing advisory board of like specialist doctors for each of our therapeutic categories so like a dermatologist a urologist and you know OBGYN, everything like that a medical director who was just an absolute rock star a pharmacy um advisor uh who who had run you know was the VP of pharmacy at Rexel for, you know, 10 years and, and knew everything about how, how, how pharmacy worked in Canada yep. and a lot of really expensive lawyers. Mm-hmm. And we, that's, that was the only way I think to, to, um, to, to figure it out. But I think 
to, to really at the core of it was that what we found pretty quickly was that it was not how we were delivering that healthcare. You know, we have a form-based system that's pretty unique that is asynchronous. And that's what really allows us to deliver what we believe is the best experience for our patients and for our physicians is that, you know, you know, when you go to get a massage, for example, they ask you to fill out a form in advance of yeah. all you know, what hurts and why, so that you don't waste any of the time when you're actually having a massage because people are like, I'm paying for every dollar of that, yeah. you know, every minute of that massage. That doesn't happen in healthcare right now. What happens is you wait till you're in the room with the doctor and then they go through that list verbally with you. Um, and there, there are guidelines based on like that, that define, you know, every question that needs to be asked to prescribe something like birth control. Um, and so we front load that questionnaire up front that, so that when you get into a chat with the doctor, it's much more efficient. It's, it's much better for the doctor. We, and it also guarantees that every question that needs to be asked is asked and answered. Yeah. And that's a very unique component to how we practice telemedicine versus other platforms, which are essentially just a virtual walk-in clinic. And yeah. the platform has no control over, not, not, no, no insight into what transpires between a doctor and a, and a patient. And so that, that there's a lot of trust in in the physicians and, and for the most part physicians are, are, are wonderful at, at, at you know doing their jobs but you, you know it, it's a gamble there um so creating a much more structured approach uh was what we wanted to do um and it's you know had never been done before in Canada it's still not really being done by anybody else and mm-hmm. we you know we had to like I think it was so it was so shocking to everyone who was actually in the um in you know healthcare who we spoke to but they quickly accepted it and i think at first it was an idea we were kicking around we were like why not why not and then we went through a phase of okay this is gonna be really difficult and then we had this widespread um acceptance from the medical community like every doctor's region was like this this is how it should be done and that gave us the confidence to really go after it and incorporate and do it it was that it was that like big nod of approval and and encouragement from from the medical community that allowed us to to have the confidence to really bring it to fruition i'd say so when you started having these conversations with different people different um you know people who would support you or become part of your board of advisories did you have like a formal business plan written out had you created a pitch deck like or were you just booking meetings and being like this is the great idea that we have like how do you even go about sitting down with someone of importance who you think can lend a hand to you and communicating a vision when you barely even know how you're going to accomplish it? Like what tools did you equip yourself with? Yeah, I think so. I think um, we did definitely, obviously I like instantly referred back to my old investment banking days and created a deck you yes. know, with my partner okay. and a financial model. Um, and I think it depends on the audience. So when we're talking about like investors, even pharmacists who are a bit more dollars and sensey, that was a very helpful thing to understand. Um, to have in our pockets, but I think for the doctor, you know, for the medical community, which was the first nut to crack, um, they just, they, they see the problem firsthand every day. They live the problem firsthand every day and it's like down. So they, as soon as the idea left our mouths, they were like, what, (laughs) um, you know, I think, I think because what we were doing was something that it was so much time for this to happen for the medical community, they were, they took to it extremely quickly. And I think, having them, you know, help us with those secondary conversations with investors and everyone was, you know, a big game changer. Um, and then the second thing was we also raised an angel round pretty early on. 
Um, and that we were very lucky to just meet a group of doctors who introduced us to a group of entrepreneurs who what they do is like, you know, life, um, life sciences type investments that are by function, like, like pushing boundaries in terms of what has been done in the past in Canada. So yep. that was just a lucky, inter- we talked to you know what, it was just panic. We just talked to that many people and we were fine the conversation and we just were super annoying about it. Yes. Yeah. Did you have any early successes that really made you believe like we are on to something here? Oh, absolutely. Getting doctor, getting Kelly, like meeting Kelly. And we met her in the most random way. We were just, we were at a shared workspace in one of the other companies who we just were chatting to. Her husband was a doctor. So we talked to him first and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure about telemedicine, but my friend from med school, like is one of the leaders in Canada and you should have coffee with her. So Kyle woke up at like 5 a.m. and met her at St. Mike's Hospital before his oh shift. Oh my God. <laughs> he was like waiting in the lobby at 5 a.m. Um, and that's that's what happened. And I think like getting, but for, for us, 100% it was getting that, having that conversation with her, getting yeah. her on board, getting her excited, but it was what was day and night in terms of what we were able to do. Mm, I'm so passionate about the power of one. Like it's one yeah. connection, one person, yeah. one meeting, one thing will yeah, yeah. be that catalyst for so much more in the growth of your business. So it sounds like being at that co-working <laughs> space and just getting into conversation and That's following what. that nudge was super valuable. And then chasing her down at the That's hospital. What. I love that vision. <laughs> yeah. He like literally went, if I'm, I don't think he's ever seen like that side of like 6am before. And I, you know, I think, but it, it like in retrospect, it looks like that, but I think there was 20 doctors. We also hunted down. Like there were a lot of no, it makes it seem like we just were super lucky sometimes. And we, we think back and we think of it as being super lucky, but then we like, Oh, but we did talk to those 12 other people. And then yeah. we're like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. like we kind of, we forget all the cycles we went through to get where we ended up. So I think, I think Kyle and I are just like, kind of like whack-a-moles. Like we're really annoying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, that's what kind of carried us through the beginning. And I think, you know, after that, it was the people we, we had, if we did one thing, right. It was getting the right people around the table. Um, yeah. And so I think that after that, you know, they're, they're the ones who, who helped made it what, what it is today. I think more than anything. This episode is sponsored by The Visionary Method. The Visionary Method is a seven-step system that's going to help you create and launch your business successfully. We've had 200 people go through it, and it's going to help you to generate your first 50,000 in revenue, even if you're starting at zero. You can learn more at www.kelseyridle.com slash TVM. So can you walk us through kind of like what the first and second year of business looked like? Like what was your role? What was your team looking like? What was happening inside the company in those first 650 days? Honestly, I've like, I've like blocked that. <laughs> trauma. <laughs> no, I think the first, so like, you know, the first like eight months was like ideation where we weren't working full-time at all. We were like, okay, let's talk to Apotex. Okay. Well, let's talk to some doctors, you know, yeah. let's, hire a lawyer to see if this is actually okay. You know, and and those were like, you know, just tossing around ideas more than anything. Um, So I wouldn't even really count that. I think from day one incorporation, like let's, we're actually going to do this a hundred percent. I'd say like was the beginning of 29th, like January 1st, 2019, we would be like when we really were like, okay, we're doing this. Um, And that first two years was, I mean, it was chaos, but it was great. We like, 
we just like beg, borrowed and steal, you know, as much as yeah. possible to, to, to get it, to get it off the ground. Um, we had this, this fabulous um, engineering advisor, he, uh, George, he, he actually has his own business now, but he, he had worked with me at 500px. Um, and he was like, look, for your budget, there's, I've got these like friends in Romania who you can hire <laughs> to build your website. And so we would be waiting up until like the middle of the night to talk to these Romanian guys. They were amazing, but they did not speak English. And they were building the site, but they were like, you know, really well versed in PHIPA, which is the like Personal Health Information Protection Act. So basically like the oh, legal yes. how to store health information in Canada. It's very specific. Yeah. And okay. they were like certified in that, but they like did not speak English. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we would just be talking to them and they, you would just see us like a screen of like vape smoke <laughs> and like a dark room and we'd be like Philippe are you there <laughs> um so a lot of that oh um because <laughs> so, we couldn't afford like engineers um and then we had a we brought in um uh we were doing everything ourselves obviously okay. amazing yep. pharmacy advisor who was like you can try it out of my pharmacy so we we're like okay. That is like like mom pop pharmacy like working with his team like like the medication um yeah. running trying to run Facebook ads being told that online pharmacy wasn't allowed on Facebook but then we we're like but you <laughs> and so we tried to get to like we had to get like climb like kind of talk to your manager like forty times at Facebook to like Holy. get the approval to be able to advertise um Dr Anderson at the time was the only prescriber like <laughs> going crazy trying to do all these things but you know I think that we were so lucky that they really. Everyone gave us, we got so many favors, so many people went out on a limb. And it was, I think it was really such a nice feeling. Actually, when I look back on it, I haven't really thought about it much, but yeah. how much people did for us, you know, people we had just met, like people are actually really quite kind and really willing to help out um, if you ask. And so I guess we just got really good at asking. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, like now all those, everyone's still with us. Like even like the pharmacist who worked, who was like the trainee in the pharmacy when we were borrowing the pharmacy of our, our advisor, she's, she's running our, our pharmacy in Ontario now. She's our wow. pharmacy manager. So, you know, I think it, it was um, a crazy time. And I think what happened is we were like, yeah, we're going to do it. It's going to be great. We're following all the regulations. We've got all this great team. And then as soon as we turned on the site, I think a big weight like landed on our a realization that, okay, now we're responsible for people's healthcare. This is an extremely serious responsibility. Yeah. And I think it wasn't until we actually turned it on that we, that the weight of that responsibility really sank in for us. Um, and I'm so glad it did because it is a huge responsibility and we owe our, you know, and it, 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 the, the level of experience we need to provide for our customers is just so much higher, I think, than, than in any other business I've been in because mm -hmm. this is their healthcare and they're trying to do something that's so crucially important to them um, that you have to, you have to deliver. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think that was kind of the, the bare bones, the beginning. <laughs> what was one of the skills or character traits that you personally possess that kind of got you through those first couple of years? Like, what is it about you that was able to push through, wear all the hats, wake up each day with, you know, whether there was uncertainty or not, and just keep going forward? It's a great question. I, I think that I can be, um, I, I'm very energetic and yeah. I think that like, I, I don't get, I don't get down too easily. You know, yes. I, I think that when, when you're doing a job like this, it's really important when, when something goes really poorly, you have to be like, okay, let's try this way now. You know, you have to be a little bit, um, 
yeah, a, a, just like, like buoyant, I think, yeah. um, in that mm-hmm. sense. I think that's what really helped. I think Kyle's very much that way too. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that would be the number one characteristic that was important. Um, and then also just being reliable. Um, I think that people do give you a first chance that people will go out on a limb for you. But as soon as you break that trust or you don't follow through or you don't answer that email or whatever it is, yeah. that trust goes away and, and as it should. Um, so being reliable and, and getting back to you and, you know, doing what you say you're going to do is, is so important for a business success in the beginning. Like you Absolutely. personally as the founder, it's, it's so crucial. So where is Felix Health today? Like paint a picture of what your team looks like, what your role is, like where are we at at this point? I'm sure there's still a long way to go, but I'd love to uh, kind of hear yeah. where you're at today. I mean, so we are, um, we're uh, everywhere across Canada other than Quebec and the territories right now. Um, and we are so excited because we are, are we've opened our you know, first big pharmacy in Ontario. Um, and it's a subsidiary of the business and we've, we're opening another one shortly. Um, and, uh, we've got an awesome team. We're about 40 people at Felix and about 20 people at Felix pharmacy. Um, and we're about to become a lot bigger. So we're just at the very tail end of our series B fundraising process, um, which is really exciting. It's been a a journey, you know, given what's going on in the macro markets right now. So it's definitely been our toughest fundraise from that perspective. Um, We're so excited about it. And uh, yeah, we're about to be growing significantly. So right now I'm the COO still and will still be, um, but we're about to get a lot more people. Um, So we're going to be hiring on CFO, you know, bringing on a, a, just a, a ton more, more people. I think right now we have stretched our staff. Our staff is incredible, but everyone's doing what should be five people's jobs. At yes. this point. Um, yep. And I, there are, there are ebbs and flows in startups where it's like, you get, you raise around, you hire a bunch of people, everyone has a manageable job, but then you grow so much that suddenly yep. you're spinning like five plates. We're right there. And I, I, I am so grateful to our team um, because they are like absolutely killing it still fighting that burnout so hard to get us over this, you know, this big milestone, um, and, and making it look easy, but I, I know they're all, <laughs> they're all getting close to it out. Um, so, so we, we're close to that, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, my, 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 my job is still a lot of everything, but I've, it's, it's so weird because every time we bring on like a big person to take on a part of something that I do or Kyle does, we're like, okay, great. Now I'm going to have less stuff to do but suddenly like just from somewhere else the bucket fills up even higher which is like things that never existed before um so it's a constant like exercise and you know replacing ourselves in different roles and 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 you know uh, the first time I think we did it we were both a little worried that we're like oh we're gonna become obsolete like what are we gonna do yeah and that lasted about a week before we realized <laughs> things we weren't doing because we were busy doing the other thing so um we're going to go through a big process of that once the round closes. Um, and we're really excited to have much smarter, more capable people doing the things that we're doing um, and and bring us up to just, you know, figure out what's next. That's incredible. And so I know a lot of our listeners, they aspire to build big companies one day, but one of their biggest hesitations is like, how will I balance it all? How will I have a family? How will I continue to take care of myself? <laughs> Do you find any balance or do you have any boundaries around your work that still allow you to live your life? Or do you feel like it's inevitable that this is just going to be a crazy time period, just going to have to sleep a little bit less, maybe not go on as many friend dates? Like what is your typical week in the life at this point as a founder? 
It's a great question. I mean, it's so hard because of COVID. It like really like through, you know what I mean? Like it, it created so much space yep. to work, I guess. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> I think had, I not, had it not been COVID, I would have been like, oh, suddenly I can't see my friends five times a week. But I was like, I can't see my friends any times a week anyways. Um, yeah. So, I, had to, so it, it, I didn't notice it creeping up. Now I'm noticing it more um, yeah. because things are opening up. But I also have a toddler. So I had a baby in twenty in mid 2020 in the, in the middle of the pandemic and you know in the middle of Felix's journey yeah um so definitely like I, I took a shorter maternity leave than I would have if I didn't have a company that's for sure Perfect. but at the same time like we're working from home so I see her all the time I so I there there are compromises there's no doubt um but I think as long as you are aware of the of the compromises I think you there's definitely an ability to find balance I feel like I have a pretty balanced life I mean obviously we're in a fundraise right now so it's a little more intense than I might want it to be but I think you have to be just cognizant there are going to be ebbs and flows Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's super intense for three months but then you've created space for it to not be intense for a little bit um and it's been like that since day one I think and I think it's definitely for a founder at, at, at the scale we're at now it sways a little more to to the um hard work more often kind of side of the the coin but I don't find that it is um it's an exciting time it is a busy time and and it's not unmanageable I find and I think that uh Mm -hmm. having the right team around you makes all the difference yeah make you feel like they don't suck your energy people who give you energy and and if you love what you're doing you know it's it's worth it yeah Absolutely. And of course, in your role, you probably need to stay in an inspired state. So final question, how do you stay inspired? Like, do you hang out with certain people? Do you have to listen to certain books or podcasts? Like what gets you going to keep the energy high? That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, above all else, I mean, I'm super extroverted. So I definitely get a lot of excitement and energy just from the team, like from talking to the team where do you really get going on something? I get a lot of energy from that. Um, I also, you know, I like read a ton of fiction. A lot of people are like, oh, read these business books. I never read this. <laughs> because I think I like, I like the escapism of it. So of I like, listen to a lot of fiction. I listen to a lot of business podcasts too, for sure. Um, like yours, but I definitely do um, like to read a lot of fiction, especially at night, you know, to, to, to kind of have like a little bit of an escape where you kind of forget about everything for a little while. Um, but yeah, I think I, I get most of my energy from the team. And when I'm, you know, feeling, feeling exhausted or feeling, you know, a bit um, burnt out, I, I do. It's, it's weird. It's like the, the more I avoid the work, the more burnt out I feel. And yeah. when I throw myself into it and I surround myself with the other people who are trying to achieve the same thing I am, that's when I get like energized again from it. Um, but I think everyone's different, right? And so it depends on kind of your personality type and, and what, what energizes you more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is so cool. I loved hearing the entire journey of Felix Health. I'm sure there's so many other things that happen in the midst of it, but uh, we got such a great snapshot. Your energy is totally contagious. I am obsessed with the way you were able to bring a concept that you saw in existence, but not in Canada to life. It is absolutely amazing. So if people want to learn more about Felix Health, they want to connect with you. um, Where are all the places that they can go and dig into what you're up to? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thanks, thanks so much um, for listening and, and and for you know having us having such great questions. Um, apologies for speaking so fast. <laughs> you didn't speak that fast. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm being posted this as slow. <laughs> um, so uh, you can always go to our website. It's uh, Felix4u.ca, um, and uh, you can also you know read about us online a bit, um, or you can also reach out to me at any time. So my email is Emma at Felix4u.ca. It's F-O-R-Y-O-U, um, and uh, I'd love to hear from anybody. Reach out on LinkedIn wherever you can find me. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Emma, for sharing your story and for taking the time today. And we wish you all of the best as you continue to grow this company. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis. So it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Rydal. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. So first thing, if you're ready to make your first or next $50,000 in business, explore how the Visionary Method business coaching experience can accelerate your growth. There'll be a link in the show notes. Also, if you're feeling lost, confused, or overwhelmed when it comes to starting an online business, reach out and book a free revision call with me. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.